We were on, we've been, uh, we started a series last week. Reese may I'll start us off on it. We had technical issues. We couldn't show you the slide, but we have it today. Bam, there it is. That's what Reese wanted to show you, but uh, our stuff is down. So if you've been, if you ever use our website, it has been down all week and we are going to fix it. We are working on it, but it has been a whole thing. So uh, if you're streaming, uh, thank you for joining us on Facebook. That still works. Um, but yeah, so there it is. We are talking about the body of Christ because we have this experience that if we get saved and we feel we belong to Christ, but then um, we want to live that to the fullest. Does it mean that we must belong to other believers? How can this be done? Can it be done individualistically? Me and a devotional and my favorite podcast, must I be with other believers? Um, and so that's what we're going to be talking about with this series is how do we belong to this body that is Christ, Christ's body throughout Scripture. It's, it is a picture of what God is doing, or Christ is on this earth now. Though his body, uh, in, in a very literal sense, is in uh, heaven before the Lord praying. That's what the uh, book of Hebrews tells us. He constantly intercedes for us. We are his body here now. We are his compassion, his mercy, his truth. It is the role of Christians in uh, we are behooved to find our place in that body. Now, these are always fun. I got a picture here to show you. What is it? It's, it, it? Different people see different things. Show of hands, who sees the duck? All right, put your hands down. Who sees the rabbit? All right, I know I didn't say bunny, and that might have thrown you off. Bunny and rabbit are the same creature. It's both. Uh, it is both a duck and a rabbit, and if you can't figure that out, look for someone who raised their hand for the other one, and they will show you how that works. Uh, but you'll see how these work is if we go to the next one here. It's a type of art where it is the, it's two things in one. So it, yes, it's a toad, and it is an incredibly frightening-looking horse. Um, as you can tell, I'm into very high-class art. Uh, <laughs> Just wait till you come into my house and see the three-by-four-foot sconce-lit print of that picture of the dogs playing cards. Uh, but the, these are fun because I think it plays a role into a little bit of, our, of the central point. What is Christianity? Is it a belief system or is it a community? And what we find as we study the body of Christ is that it is both. We have to know truth, yes, we also must be part of this community. We could be tempted to think that we experience true faith when we're alone, in those moments that we feel the goosebumps in our prayer closet alone or in the car when a certain worship song hits us. But being part of his community is critical. As we read Scripture, we get this idea that it's not about this life of very different structured solitude, but it is a faith that is experienced, dispensed, sharpened, grown, strengthened in the community. And if the community is sick, it is weakened. Christianity is a set of beliefs, sure. It is. We have certain things we believe, but it is also so much a community. To be a Christian is to be part of the body of Christ and working with all the other parts. It is very accurate to say that if the church is called to be the body, you are not the body by yourself, nor do you reflect God's nature completely. Very critical idea to understand in Scripture is that we reflect the nature of God, but not all one of us do that entirely. 
Each of us can reflect a portion, a part, and when we shine together, we see all those things coming together. God is multifaceted, and it takes many to even come close to summarizing him. Yet people are dissuaded from the faith often through isolation and the wounds that cause isolation. Church wounds often don't really take us out. It's the stories we tell ourselves about those wounds that take us out. It's those stories that we tell ourselves about bad experiences or fallout relationally that can lead to, uh, it can lead to, if we tell the right stories, it can lead to acceptance and it can lead to forgiveness and it can lead to healing. Real maturity. Or if we tell the wrong stories, it can lead to bitterness and self-protection until we find ourselves totally isolated and trying to be the body all by ourselves. There's one thing that I find will make me feel that I can overcorrect in any one direction in certain theological assumptions or the way that I think Christianity should look. It's when I get around other believers and see them doing it totally different. And I realize I'm overreacting. If you try to reflect the nature of God in yourself, you begin to not so much worship God, but yourself in the little way you reflect. Maybe you're a really logical person, very linear, and you feel like all theology should be clear and laid out and linear, and that's just the way God is. Um, And then you meet someone who's free, Mr. Holy Spirit, and you think, that's not it, it's me. But if you spend some time with him and you experience God through his weird, unique ways, you might just find out that God is more diverse than you thought and that Jesus was at times really weird. (laughs) No Christian uh, can reflect that nature by themselves. You're meant to be part of the community. And God's means of helping us come together is gifting people with different gifts that must come together. No Christian has no place in the the building to offer, where they come in and they're just there to consume. Each one is gifted with things from the time they were born and built into them, strengthened so much and guided when they're saved that the community needs. And God distributed that portion himself to each one of them. And we're incomplete until we're together the way God called us to be. So I guess it's fair to say you need the church, and the church very much needs you. You are what make it complete, and your faith is complete when you're with other people because Christianity is a body made up of a lot of people. So you belong to Christ. Let's talk about belonging to his community. We're going to start with Romans. Chapter 12, Paul, uh, he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your proper, or this is your true and proper act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now I gotta say, this is the absolute best passage we could be talking about this morning. Because this is a point in Romans where Paul has spent 11 chapters talking about these high theological concepts of the fall of man and salvation. He's laying out Christian theology, but from 12 on, he breaks, and it starts right with this verse. You've heard all the truth, therefore, this is how you should live. 
the letter switches from being here is a, a, a theology book to here is a book on how to belong to the body. You can almost think of it as chapters 1 through 11 as this is how you belong to God and 12 and onward as this is how you are the body of Christ on earth. Thus his phrase, therefore, meaning everything up until this point. And he's gone through some heavy stuff. He went through the fall. He went through Israel's rejection of Christ, the grafting in of Gentiles to be part of those deep promises. He has gone at it uh, at, at a very theologically clear, as clear as Paul can be, let's be honest. Even the other apostles said Paul was hard to understand. But he gets to this point, he says, therefore, because of everything I've told you, this is how you should live. This carnal life is a distraction. We cannot forget that. And the gospel changes everything, and it begins with the individual, that every part of our bodies, from where our hands go and what our feet, where our feet go, what our eyes look at, what our mouths say, what we choose to allow in through our ears, what we choose to look at, that every part of your individual physical body dedicated to God And now this picture of living sacrifice is probably important to say before we go on. This is actually a fixed um, metaphor in Judaism that referred to priesthoodness, that a, that a priest who lived as a living sacrifice, you could think of the Levites, everybody got land, the Levites didn't, they got gypped on land, but what they got was they were made the priesthood, and that was their job, that was their calling. And so as a person dedicates themselves to ministry, the idea was is that their life becomes this living sacrifice dedicated to God. And that is a powerful image that everyone in the church is called to a priestly kind of role. True, uh, true spiritual knowledge uh, is not some lofty thought. It should impact the literal conduct of your hands, feet, eyes, ears, everything about you. How do we worship God? By putting all of our life in harmony with him. And this harmony, Paul is building on this, step one, Bring harmony to your body that no member of it is doing something outside the will. Make it all for God. Now that we've established that, let's talk about God's body. Practical living, interestingly, it comes down mostly to getting along with other Christians in the Bible. Much of our Christian life is going to look like relationships with other believers, Here's something that's interesting. Paul, yes, did write about evangelism, reaching people outside the community. He did. He spoke far, 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 far more about getting along in the church. He spent so much time talking about that. That was critical to him. Believers getting along with believers was the core of Christian daily living. And it makes sense if we think about the words of Christ on the night he was betrayed. One of the last things he said to his disciples is he commanded them this, Love one another, because by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If, if Christianity was the kind of thing to where people saw people's needs getting taken care of when they belonged to that group, and nobody was overseen, and it was just this place to where people went, and they were taken care of, and they took care of other people in a place to belong, it's a thing people want to be part of. I remember years ago... Uh, you know, you go to these, I was a youth pastor, you go to conferences, people talk about how they blew up their youth group, it was so big, and they reached and they got into the schools. And it can be really hard to do, particularly if you're part-time, because you don't have time to go be in the school every day. 
So like all of us part-time youth pastors just walk out feeling like trash because we're like, I can't do that. And I was talking to Jake. Jake was a youth pastor at the time. And he heard some really good advice about being a youth pastor in limited time. And it was, you need, instead of thinking so much about trying to get all these other kids to come in, you need to really just take care and pastor the living daylights out of the ones you've got. And if we're faithful with a few, God will send more. And we found, oh, thank you. That, we'll take that forever Jake's mentor was. Is that, who was that, by the way? I don't know. It's one of those truths that you internalize. I barely remember that Jake told me, to be honest. But we, I found that true uh, with the hub when we were down there. At times that we would really just, it was like, all right, we're all short on time. So when we get here at 7, we're going to love students. and We're going to go around and, and talk to people. We had leaders that were specifically assigned. You go talk to somebody. And they had roles, and that was the role. Go find people you don't know. Go talk to them. And what we found is that we kept almost every guest that would visit when there was a lot of love and harmony and people felt seen and cared about there. And we had a long time, and even now I'm hearing stories of things happening in youth group now, needs being met, and, and, and kids inviting their friends. Why? Because the hub is a place that is still special where they're seen and that youth group is growing. Paul said it was critical that if we want to reach a world that we care for the members inside. Christ said the same thing. Daily Christian living might look a lot more like the, the way we care for it and just even simple things of texting each other and checking in and praying with each other and having a healthy community that is something to invite people to. Sometimes we try so hard to invite people and don't think about, is it worth them being part of this once they get here? Are we really getting along? Let's continue on. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith, God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace God has given us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. You know, we're, when we are called here, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Everyone with a low self-esteem thinks there's the verse right there to think I'm a giant piece of trash. And that is not at all what this passage means. We are called to look at ourselves with a sobriety about it, understanding who we are deeply. I want to read you something that is it's important to hear before we move on. In Psalms 12, it says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. 
You have made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. Isn't it nice it rhymes in English? That's beautiful. What were the odds? Um, What we see in this picture is God's incredible honor that he pours out on the human race, on each individual. You are honored because God has made you honorable. You have a high place. Thinking not more highly of yourself than you ought is not to look down on yourself. It's to understand that you have a very high standing, and so does everybody else. That God has given these gifts, and they are all of them amazing. The arrogant need to see their value in others. And the insecure need to see the value in themselves. Both have honor from God. He says, don't think of yourself too highly. It's not a command to foster negative, self-deprecating thoughts. It's simply referring to one thing, comparison. It is very sober and very right for you to understand that you are honored and empowered and gifted and that the community of believers here and around the world need you and your gifts and your unique input. And you just need to keep in mind that that's the way we all are. Each one of us is given gifts. Sometimes we have a way of thinking that our gift can be superior from the top down. A person who's very good at at administrating and leading and they build these grand organizations might think they're better than all the people that come. And the person that isn't distracted with the showiness, but they're very personable and they can go greet each individual person, they can say to themselves, I'm the only one holding up the ship of this megachurch. If I left, no one would be greeted. We have a way of thinking that whatever we are is the best possible gift, and I think there's a reason for it. When God gifts you with something, he also pours passion on top of it. One of the ways that gifting grows is that you are passionate about it. You might be the world's greatest guitar player, but if you hate it, you're never going to get past the first chord. And so we have this passion to do the things we're gifted to do, and something inside of us says this is the most important thing to pursue. And it might be for you because that's your gift and it's how you contribute. And you got to keep your mind open that the person who's different, who's not as strong as me at this, or maybe they, 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 they can be disingenuous or I'm very ingenuous. Is that a word? I don't know. Disingenuous seems like a double negative. I'm sorry. I'm getting on a sidetrack here. When you're gifted and you're passionate, you can have a hard time seeing the value that's equal with other people. We are highly lifted up, and so are others. Some people think they're better than others. Some think they're worthless, and both are not sober ways of thinking of self. Because if you feel you aren't important, you won't show up. And I don't even mean just not show up as like you won't come to service on Sunday. What I mean is if you feel like you're not important, you're not going to show up the way sports commentators use it. there's There's a guy, Stephen A., he's on ESPN. He uses this term a lot. He criticizes particular a guy named Anthony Davis who plays for the Lakers. He's very good, and there are some days you wonder, why didn't Davis play harder? And on those days, Stephen A. goes crazy and says he didn't show up, and he struggled. And Davis didn't show up. Davis didn't show up. And we know Davis was in Staples Center. We know he technically was there. What he's being criticized for is not showing up with spirit, 
not showing up with vigor, not playing like he is the superstar that he is and having the impact he is. He kind of just sit back as if he was a role player and didn't have to get the ball, didn't have to get in. I don't criticize athletes because they do things I could never do. I'll never dunk on Carl Anthony Towns, for instance, but that's okay. My point is, is that when you feel small, you don't show up in that kind of almost sports way. Not with the vigor, not with the spirit, not, not feeling like I'm critical to be here. I, I don't, I'm not gifted like a superstar to function in this role. And when you feel that way, you don't get involved. You know, if I was invited to a big party, it was huge. I knew tons of people were going to be there and something came up. I mean, when you're an introvert, it doesn't have to be that extreme, you know. Uh, but you cancel. You can't make it. I'm sorry. A thing came up. I can't go. I wouldn't feel that bad. I would feel pretty bad if it was my birthday, though, because everybody's there for me. I'm the birthday boy. I can't leave that party. I'm a critical role to what's happening there on that day. I'm critical to that role for one integral reason that was given to me on my birth, the day I was born. It's October 28th, by the way. Did someone just cheer my birthday? Thank you. Thank you. It's a good day. Just before Halloween, the leaves are changing. It's beautiful. But you, you, if you understand how important you are to a room, to a place, to, to something, you tend to show up to get there and be there. When you're a parent, you can't just skip dinner because the kids don't eat. You have to show up when you're important. I think some of the most prevalent uh, unsober thoughts we have to ourselves at, in, in this time is, is insecurity. Arrogance and insecurity, they are kind of two sides of the same coin. But we have this way of thinking, if, if I didn't go, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. It wouldn't be that critical. But we play such an amazing role, each one of us. And it is critical that we're all there. God made you with honor and he gave you gifts and we need you. And you have to see your value to be part of, of the larger group of believers. I was part of a, a Bible college. It was very big, and it was part of a church that was even bigger. And, and people, it was just a, it was like a place where extroverts reigned supreme. And I was off campus. They're all on campus. They're all got these buddies. And when you're there for five days a week for four years, you just get comfortable with being quiet. So I was just super quiet all the time. And I remember it was just a thing where I just, you know, something would come up and I, I wouldn't say anything. I knew the answer. I wasn't raising my hand. I don't want to talk here. But there was this unique thing to where uh, to get a break on your tuition, you could volunteer at a conference that that big church put on. This youth conference, I'd volunteer, make, save some money. And when I was there, and, and it's like you get the shirt and the lanyard and there's all these teenagers everywhere. It just brought out my inner youth pastor to where it was like, I, it felt like I'm now hosting them. All these kids coming in, and you'd, you'd want to find out what do they need, and do they need prayer, and, and, and just watching over them. And there was this unique thing where suddenly I went from being very quiet and disengaged to jumping and trying to help serve these people, talking to them, making sure they felt welcome. I remember there was a time there was a kid that was crying off by himself. I don't think anybody could see him. I spotted him, and I went over, and I sat with him. I talked to him. I'm telling you, I would not have done that on a Monday at school. I'm not telling this story to say what a, to, to paint me as the good guy. To be honest, I lament how quiet I was at, at college. 
because I understood my value when I was older than everybody else. I understood my value when I was given a spot of authority to where I felt like I was in charge of, of shepherding and caring for these thousands of kids bursting through the door. But I didn't feel that with anybody else because I just didn't feel like I mattered as much at school. I felt much quieter. Just because your gift isn't as loud or as impressive, it's not a crowd getter, doesn't mean that it isn't critical. These gifts are meaningful. The quiet gifts are meaningful. Things of, of kindness and encouragement, someone seeing you, these things are incredibly vital. Something's really cool here about when he lists the spiritual gifts. You see, Jewish tradition held that of all these gifts, that they agreed that they were gifts. Things like generosity, mercy is actually another thing of like charity, kind of like you having mercy on someone. Charity actually and mercy mean the same thing in English as well. But um, there was this idea that prophecy, on the other hand, the first thing he lists was above all. A very set idea that prophecy, it was almost like God possessed you and then you spoke something divine that nobody else could. It was a greater blessing than all. It was rare. And that it was like a prophet would, would cut open this space between heaven and earth and God poured in. When Paul says that that gift is equal with charity, equal with the person who writes checks for somebody else, equal to the person who encourages, that was groundbreaking. It was groundbreaking and it might even be seen as offensive. And it says something huge about those gifts. That encouragement, that generosity, that mercy, compassion, these things reveal God like prophecy. That they would be as profound, they would be as impactful, they would be something that shows God to the world around us. Encouragement can feel like a prophetic word from God. When people just have, they hear you, you really feel heard, and then they have something encouraging to share with you. And if you've ever received that phone call, text, or been at the receiving end of that conversation, what you feel is something divine. And I would imagine one day when we see God face to face, we'll say, I met someone in life that reminds me so much of you. Because when they spoke, I felt the way I feel right now. When they spoke, I felt strong the way you make me feel strong. It was healing the way you're healing because God revealed himself to you in someone's gift that is deep and powerful and spiritual because every gift committed to God and given to him is as powerful as prophecy and reveals him to this creation. It's critical that if we're going to be believers in this community, we all have gifts that are on our minds when we get here. How valuable am I? on a Sunday morning? How valuable am I on a Wednesday night? How valuable am I at the men's group, the women's group, the small group? It's critical that we dispel something, to this false belief that gifts from God could be ranked because God revealed something about his heart here. They cannot be. Each member is critical and not one is better than the other. I enjoyed the living daylights out of Easter. I don't know if you guys did, that was a great service. I've had fun at Easter here. That was probably the funnest I've had. So many people did stuff. Like, yeah, Brad led worship and I taught. We had Donette and her team, they drove steaks out there. They put eggs out there. They invited all these kids, handing out printouts, doing push notifications on phones to the parents that are in the preschool. 
The Larkins made breakfast. Everybody contributed to what a special morning that was and the way God moved, and not one of us was better than the other. We were all equal. We were all on the same plane. We were all doing God's work. It's really critical for us to understand that just because pastors are up here, it doesn't make them in any way better or different. Someone has to lead. It's a practical thing. Leading in the Bible, it is not a thing of great honor. I am a servant, not a master. You have as much to teach me and to guide me in as I ever could you. We are a body together. We are a church together. Easter was amazing because we came together. There were so many people in here I could not greet, and I found out a bunch of them were here. I found out, was it Nona was here, wasn't she? Was it Nona? No, which grandma was here? Your mom? Okay. I've heard stories about your, your parents from Natalia. I wanted to meet them. Couldn't do it. There was other people who were here. I saw them. I thought, I'm going to go say hi. I couldn't do it. Yet I'm hearing over and over again, people were warmly received and welcomed, and that came from the body. I was tied up like mad. I, I could hardly make it to anybody. We greeted. We were the body. We were united in that. And not one shines brighter than the other, but we shone together. And it was a special morning. Know this. You being the way God gifted you is what the body needs. I want you to know something. God calling you to engage in the body, to be in it, to honor people above yourself, all these things. It is not God asking you to have somebody else's gift. God is not asking you to go be somebody else because the body's not complete if we're all one person. It's an awfully awkward body when everybody's one person. It has to be multifaceted, deep, all kinds of dimensions. And God's calling you to be the gifted person he's, he's put in you, the things he's sharpening, gifts he might reveal you don't know about yet. In the body, together. I know when it comes to fitting in with church, sometimes we have wounds of the past, things that are difficult, that can make it feel hard to trust. They can happen in the church, or they get honestly, they could have happened in middle school, and it still makes it hard to risk relationally. And I got to say, as, as redeeming as it would be to have this perfect church community that warmly welcomes you and every word they say just divinely breaks and heals everything inside of you, if I really look at who thrives and who, who really goes deep and, 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 and starts ministering to other people in the community, I just don't see that happen very often. More often than not, the person who gets involved is a person who uh, is willing to be vulnerable again, to trust again and to let go of the past and get beyond it. Past wounds can rob us of a sober sense of self and make us think bizarre things about ourselves, things that make us feel that it would be best if I was quiet, and if at anything it's a wash that I'm quiet. Spiritual maturity is going to look like finding a sober sense of yourself and how God defines you in the gifts that you have to feel comfortable risking again with new people and starting over. Not to say that you're right off the pass or that it wasn't significant or that nobody here would want to hear it. We do. We want to share. Part of being a body is sharing that kind of stuff. But you won't find a church so perfect that it's going to redeem everything you saw before. And it hurts, but you're going to have to, you, you, you got to rise above to step up a little bit.
Sometimes we let those little wounds of our past continue to be our boss. I mean, have you ever thought about that, that thing that some middle school kid said to you 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you're still letting that middle schooler tell you who you are today? There comes a point when we have to quit letting wounded churches define us, wounded relationships define us, and to step beyond it. And we'll find growth there. And you'll find your place when you serve others in your unique way. I think there's also a huge problem that we don't realize just how important we are to the body, that we can simply not belong, not be part of it. We just didn't recognize how critical it was to be there, to show up in spirit, to show up there in body, and to really be present. And I'll tell you, you'll know this is you because you've been challenged today with the idea that we are incomplete without you, that your silence doesn't hurt you alone, it hurts us. Well, be encouraged that God's not asking you to function in someone else's gift, but yours. God wants to redefine what you think of as a gift and for you to invest in the God-created body he put you into. And you gotta know this, you were made for this. Each believer gifted to show up with something at the door that is special and where we can really short sell ourselves is when we say some gifts are special and some are not. It's deeply unbiblical. You are meant for this. You're gifted for this. You have things that are important to be part of this body, to be involved. So I want to take a moment to pray for us for two things. One, I want to pray for those that need to be delivered from wounds to risk again and to say, it's been a lot more comfortable belonging to Jesus than belonging to the body. I know Jesus is safe and people aren't. I want to pray that we would have an ability to risk again, to grow uh, calluses in the right place and tender back where we should be, to be people who uh, can rise above things, not through hatred or guarding ourselves, but with truth. That if we're going to have a sober sense of self, we can go back and speak that to the things that keep coming up. You're worthless. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Speak truth to that. God, come and speak truth to us. I'm also going to pray for those that are wanting that fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to grow and encourage them in dispensing their gifts, finding their gifts, and being who they are in this place, in this group of believers and believers around the world. Lord, this morning, I want to pray first and foremost for those that have a hard time putting themselves out there. And some had wounds from, from churches that have been painful. Some have wounds from school, from family. But it makes it to where it has been really, really comfortable to live life in secret. And yet we come to this truth today where we find out we're not really living life in secret. That to have such a small social circle, to be so guarded, to be so private, is something that backs up the soul, prevents us from clicking with the body. And our faith, which is a thing of community and belonging, receiving from other people's strengths, lending them ours, moving in kindness as if we were Isaiah prophesying, giving mercy to people as if we were Jeremiah in the days of Jerusalem's end. Lord, you 
have empowered us with great things. And God, I pray that we would break so deeply the way that we put a hierarchy on them. Help us to risk and to be involved again. Lord, I pray that this week would be a day that, or a week that is just like tidal waves of truth coming in. That every time those insecure thoughts come back, your faithful spirit would be there to say, no, 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 remember sobriety, sobriety, sobriety. Tell me the truth, the truth of who I say you are. Say it back to me. Lord, I pray that we would commune with your spirit in truth. Lord, I ask you to be with those that feel convicted to get in at a deeper level, that they they have not stopped and thought that it is important that they show up here as the guy who's preaching the message or leading worship, that they too have gifts. They too have a critical role to play. Lord, I pray for an equalness to be in their minds that would raise them up, raise others uh, down, that we would all stand at equal ground and they would realize it's critical for them to show up. Lord, help us show up in each other's lives. God, I pray that it would empower small groups. It would empower uh, text messages. It would empower the way we talk to each other in the hallway. God, I pray for authenticity. Those kinds of real rolling connections with each other where we share gifts in such a way that we leave feeling refreshed and united. May your spirit be in this church and rise us all up to take our place in this ministry as we leave, uh, live this priestly life of a living sacrifice. In your name I pray, amen.